Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined by Tommy, and we are recording just shortly after a huge, huge tank loss against a Trailblazers team that somehow won despite missing, I think, about $100 million worth of salary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired, man. This this last stretch is exhausting. I, we did this last year, and for whatever reason, I was okay. I know, like, 10 games left, you got a little antsy. This one, I'm right there with you this time. Like, these these close losses, maybe it's because we're further along uh, the tank race. We're, I, still, I think we're still third right now with Oklahoma City right on our tail. But mm-hmm. it's, it's just exhausting, man. I'm, I'm tired of it. I don't want to do this again next year. I feel like if we get lucky in the lottery or just we just get a good player from wherever uh, in this draft, I feel like, you know, tank standings, lottery position, all that stuff is going to matter a lot less. I think they're just going to see how it goes. But this season, it's, it's, it's become pretty obvious that they also value uh, the lottery standings. You know, Saban yeah, Lee, Luca Garza getting extended minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to see that. But at the yeah. same time, you know, when you go against Portland, who is, like you said, tanking very hard as well. Well, it's not just tanking. Uh, I mean, stressful. they have an incredible list of injuries, like incredible. And they sat Josh Hart today for yeah. whatever reason and still managed to win, which I'm, I'm guessing didn't make them too happy. That's, you know, a, a positive. Also, the business have 10 games left. The Blazers are now eight wins ahead. You know, they might not win another game for the rest of the season. So uh, that's just one small little uh, added bit of comfortable margin. But I agree. It's getting exhausting. It's been exhausting for me for a few weeks. I had actually gone into the season hoping that the Pistons, I, I felt that, I figured that they were just going to go in and see what happened, you know, and whatever would happen would happen and I'd be okay with it. Maybe that was a little bit of an unrealistic expectation because I really wouldn't have been happy with the Pistons just falling right in the middle of the lottery. But it's clear that they didn't really plan on competing to any degree, I think, just based on the roster moves like Olenek, for example, not having an athletic big until they traded for Bagley and so on and so forth, whatever the case. It was absolutely exhausting down the stretch for me last season. There was a huge sigh of relief for me when that final buzzer sounded on the season finale against Miami, and it's probably going to be the same thing for me this year. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, Yeah. I was excited for the season, but I'm ready for it to be over, provided it ends well. Yeah, this is, I mean, the Pistons are actually playing decent ball uh, outside of tonight against the Blazers, but I think they're they're close to 500 since the the all-star break. And I think especially if you include uh, that win prior to the all-star break against Boston, like they're playing much better. The offense looks better. They're shooting a, a, a better ball. But again, you know, we've come this far. We're this close to the top of the standings. It's, it's a little tough sometimes. Uh, I'm not unhappy about all the wins, but you know, we're four and six in our last 10. So is Orlando. And then there's teams like Oklahoma city who have lost 10 straight. And that kind of, that, that does kind of stress you out a little bit, maybe, uh, depending on where you stand in terms of how you value lottery picks and or lottery standings and all that. Well, you're three uh, and seven, another, actually. <laughs> I think, well, actually, no, four and four and six still. You're right. Yeah, uh, no, it's yeah, it's it's just brutal. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma City is shamelessly tanking again, 10 in a row, like oh, you yeah. said. Uh, Portland's, yeah. I don't think Portland even, like they're missing Simons and everybody else. I mean, they're going to be bad, period. Over the last two weeks, they have a defensive rating of like 123, which is incredible. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I'm I'm just, I'm ready for it to be over. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it sucks because I was really looking forward to the season. A lot of things went wrong. And I'm, I'm confident that it's like you and I, we are all about the patient rebuild, the long-term tank. I know you wanted three years. I don't, I don't think you really want three years anymore. I wanted two. This will be two. I'm starting to reconsider that plan because, again, this is just, it's it's so tiring, dude. 
Yeah, true it is. Uh, all right, so uh, moving on, what we're going to discuss today, we're going to talk about some news that came out today about Jeremy Grant being linked to Portland in terms of uh, interest and in trade probably around draft time. Talk about Sadiq Bey's 50-piece and uh, his future. I'm going to do an update on the prospects of March Madness that we spoke about in the last episode. Uh, hopefully get along to that, that tankathon sim we talked about last time, uh, which would not make any of us very happy, but it's an interesting scenario. And then look at some listener-submitted questions. Consider following us on Twitter at ToTheBasketPod. We always love to hear from listeners, questions, feedback, ideas for future episodes, and the like. And finally, I want to give a quick shout-out to Jason, a listener of ours from Australia. Best wishes to you and Lauren on your fifth anniversary. So let's talk about Jeremy Grant. Yeah, so uh, Shams dropped his inside pass earlier today, and he talked about something that a lot of Pistons fans and Blazers fans have kind of been anticipating, You know, especially since they made that move at the deadline that opened up a pretty substantial, I forget what the term is called. It's what, what's the, it's that thing that allows them to absorb Jeremy. Yeah. Trade exception. The trade yeah, exception. It may, yeah. may not, may or may not come into play based on some cap mechanics, cap mechanics that I uh, don't really feel like doing in my head right now, but nonetheless. Yeah. But the interest is there because Shams today, he, he talked about uh, how the Portland trailblazers are expected to seriously pursue Pistons forward, Jeremy Grant in the off season. And he's talked about how uh, the Blazers have the Pelicans 2022 first round draft pick and the Blazers will explore offering the pick should it fall between uh, pick five and 14 in this year's draft. That's the protected range. So it's it's protected by New Orleans between one and four and from 15 plus. Yep. And, you know, I, I made the prediction that the Pistons would probably add another pick in this draft. I didn't think it would be this high. I definitely didn't think that Jeremy Grant's value would get you, you know, a pick this high. And I don't think it would in an ordinary draft, but I think as we've both come to kind of find out, this draft is not, it, 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 we don't, we, neither of us like it uh, that much. But again, you know, it, it's still, you know, a lot of potential and that's still interesting. And the that pick, uh, that Pelicans pick right now, it sits at uh, ninth. And within this pass, they also dropped the news that Zion Williamson will not return uh, this oh, wow. season. So I hadn't heard that, that hopefully, yeah, that hopefully, you know, bodes well for that pick if it does end up coming our way. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I've grown to really, really be kind of resentful of this draft class because <laughs> it's not your tanking <laughs> and it's just, it's just not that exciting. I think it could, it could turn out to be weaker than the 2020 draft class, which was not very strong as far as superstar talent, even talent in the lottery right now. And who knows? I mean, I kind of feel like Anthony Edwards would have a really solid shot of going number one in this draft and then we'll mellow ball too. So yeah, definitely. Uh, in any case. Yeah. So th- that is an inter- interesting scenario. Uh, Grant's his season has really been the opposite of what it was last season. Uh, he has really come alive down the stretch for better or worse in terms of the Pistons place in the standings. He's been uh, actually very good over the last month or so, like uh, since around the end of February, about 22 points on really excellent shooting and 49% from the field, 44% from three is getting to the line more uh, about five and a half attempts per game. So yeah, I suppose it boils down to where the Pistons fall. I think in the draft order will determine what happens. I don't think it's out of the question that Jeremy Grant stays on the roster. If the Pistons draft a guard, for example, because like there are a lot of forwards, the Pistons might be looking at, um, I, I see some merit to Grant staying on the team. I mean, I've kind of come around uh, around on that a little bit. 
if coached correctly, I mean, he can be, you know, I think still think he can be the number three guy in a contender. Also, he provides a really necessary shot of athleticism in the starting lineup that the Pistons would need to replace somehow. Uh, it sounds a little weird that that's a factor, but it is a factor. So yeah, if you yeah, were, if you were, with you. yeah, if you were like three or four years younger, then I would be all about, you know, keep the guy. Why not? Yeah. I was, you know, when I was, when I saw this article drop, I immediately went to see where uh, this Pelicans pick would drop. And I looked at some of the guys projected in that range. And there, again, I don't want to, you know, disparage this draft class too much. You know, you can't predict exactly what these guys' careers are going to look like. But the archetypes that are there, not a lot of great fits. You're talking about guys either with limited upside or guys with high upside who can't shoot. It's very wing heavy, uh, but it's wings who aren't projected as good three-point shooters. And that's exactly what you want around Cade. Uh, There are a few names there. Maybe we'll get to that later. And then there's one other detail from this Shams article uh, that I wanted to mention. And it just says that if the pick does not fall in that range, that 5-14, to and convey to Portland this offseason, the organization's, that's Portland's package, falls behind competing teams that are chasing Detroit's versatile forward. So implies that there are other teams looking to trade for Grant. So it's not just Portland. And Mm -hmm. maybe we do have a little bit of a bidding war there. So that's good for us. Yeah, I mean, Grant's a good player. It's it's been frustrating for the Pistons at times. He's definitely improved of late, not just as a shooter, but also making the right pass. I mean, he and Sadiq Bey went from almost unbearably black hole-ish. Like, they would not pass the ball. They would just take bad shot after bad shot after bad shot. That's what a black hole means. I mean, just a guy who just attempts a bunch of bad offense instead of passing the ball. But, and now, you know, I, I don't think his court vision is ever going to be great, but he now is much more, he has a much greater propensity to make the right move, put it that way. So that, that's been good to see. And again, valuable player, guy who can play defense, guy who can probably give you a solid 20 points a game, particularly if he's not being asked to be, you know, your first option, though he's not really been the first option for a while now. So yeah, there's value, definitely. And this free agent class is very weak, like really weak. <laughs> Just to review what we got there, your two big name free agents, Kyrie and Bradley Beal. And who knows if Kyrie will go anywhere, Bradley Beal also, who knows. And then you've got your three restricted free agents, Anthony Simons getting maxed by Portland. Um, Miles Bridges almost undoubtedly getting matched, uh, maxed by Charlotte. And eight, and I don't think he's going anywhere either. And then your next best free agent from that class was going to be Joe Ingles until he got injured. That's how weak it was. Well, arguably Joe Ingles. So uh, trades will be big for team for teams really who don't do as well as they wanted in the playoffs and are looking to add a piece. Now, what teams can offer is a different story. And if Portland has a pick that's like number nine, that's probably the best the Pistons are going to get. Now, under what circumstances would you want to keep Grant? Oh, I think it kind of boils down to what you said about if the Pistons kind of fall in the draft and they end up taking a guard. Like if they did end up with a guy like Matherin or Ivy and they still need a four, yeah, why not keep Grant? He really does have a significantly higher ceiling than a lot of guys kind of midway through this draft. So there's a lot of allure. Just when you talk about, oh, we're getting a lottery pick from this team. I think a lottery pick sounds better than when you actually look at the names and the projected roles that some of these guys are uh, figuring to play. There are guys in this draft who have high ceilings that are further down, but they're further down for a reason. And Jeremy Grant, is he's you know what you're getting with him. And he is a guy who is capable of going off for you know 30, maybe even 40, like we just saw that earlier this week. And when he's playing his role and he's playing within a good offense uh, or within the role that's asked of him, I think that he's, he's a much more at. valuable player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when he's, he's pulling up for long twos and he's kind of playing 
uh, for himself. That's when he gets he gets frustrating. But like you said, he's played a lot better lately. And in that sense, you know, it's, you, know you don't necessarily want to get rid of him. No, I mean, the long twos, I don't think he'll ever be good at those. That's no shame to him. Hardly no. anybody is good at those. Like legitimately hardly anybody. It takes a really good mid-range shooter to make those mid-range pull-ups like anywhere in the realm of efficiency. And Grant is not that good. Grant is like a mid-30s. I think he's gotten himself into like the mid to high 30s on those with a, a bit of a hot streak lately. And that's that's terrible. I mean, that, that's a re, it's really bad efficiency. And I think it's the product of Twin Casey saying, you know what, Jeremy, go out and do your thing. So, yeah. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, but, I mean, he's a valuable player. Uh, your your concern is, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, he's, yeah, he's eligible for about $110 million extension, and that's not a bad value for a player like Grant. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but... Yeah, that's that's what that's a going rate for a good starter. You know, it was the mid uh, the mid twenty millions. Uh, Aaron Gordon got that, for example. So that wouldn't be a bad salary. Uh, it's just like when players start to get into their early thirties, are still in their prime. Who knows at that stage? Might sound a little bit silly. Like he'd be twenty eight, I think, at, at the start of his next contract or twenty nine. That's just the part that gives me pause a little bit. And that might sound a little uh, you know a little bit silly, but if you might be able to get a guy. Uh, whom you think would help you comparably and is a lot younger and under that uh, is cost controlled for four years. But in this draft, I mean, who knows? So I'll be, I'll be interesting, interested to see what, what trade packages ultimately are offered. I mean, whatever we hear about, but I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world. If Grant stays, if Grant stays this summer, I feel like it's pretty likely he'll get that extension uh, come November, which I think is when he's eligible for it. So, or maybe it's in the off season. I don't remember. So usually it's two years. Uh, for you know, for a player on a contract of three, on of four years or three or four, whatever. But the case with Grant, uh, it's two years after he signed his original contract is when he's eligible to sign his extension. However, the 2020 offseason was really weird. Free agency was in November. I'm not sure if they're kind of going to adjust that to free agency at its normal time. And if they do, he'd be eligible for it in July. So yeah, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world. I don't know. I, I, like I've mentioned that you look at this draft and it's not that exciting. Like some of the names that are there, if you want to look them up, some of the names that I like at that level are like guys like Tari Eason, very athletic forward, but he doesn't project as a great shooter yet. Uh, Jaden Hardy has been improving slightly in the G league. He might be able to break back into the lottery discussion. He'd probably be within that range if the Pistons really like him. And then another guy that I like is Oshai Abaji, but he just, he projects as like a fairly athletic three and D role player. It's, it's guys like that. So you kind of have to temper your expectations when you're talking about the return that you would potentially get for Grant. You know, a lottery pick sounds really good. Uh, maybe you package that pick with some other stuff and maybe you make a big move for a star. But again, you're going to have to package that along with other significant assets. So it, it's just worth looking into what that return might actually look like and then comparing that to what Grant might be able to do for us. Like you said, he's 28, 29 at the start of that extension. And you figure that maybe he has another five years of, you know, prime Jeremy Grant. That could be very useful. So it's it's all these things are worth considering. I think it's good that, you know, these offers are coming in and it gives you options. And again, in the, in the vein of you want to find guys who fit the timeline better, fit alongside Cade better. Uh, it's enticing and it's interesting. But uh, Jeremy Grant has proven, especially over the last month, that he can contribute to a winning team and play very well. And so it makes that discussion a little bit more interesting. Maybe you think it through more carefully. 
consider all options. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And like I said, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I looked it up. He's going to be 29 at the start of the extension. And, you know, around 32, 33 is not of the question for players who are not really high level talents to start to go into decline. So that's worth keeping in mind. But yeah, wouldn't be a terrible thing. You know, we'll see. There's also the question of whether he is a good fit, for example, with Sadiq Bey, who seems to do a good deal better in some situations uh, with Jeremy out. And you know, why don't we transition it from there to Bay, who, of course, recently had his, his 51-point game against the Orlando Magic. So congratulations to, uh, to Sadiq. And yeah, yeah that was, uh, was an impressive performance. Uh, definitely came on, on the back of really solid three-point shooting. And yeah, Sadiq has really turned... We, we talked to him about him a lot a couple episodes ago, but he's definitely turned around a season that started as a complete disaster and, and now is playing some actually really good ball. So, yeah, there is yeah, the consideration of the fit between those two because they do, to a degree, occupy the same space on the floor, even though Jeremy's much more, much better at driving to the net. But, yeah, there is, there is the question of if you unlock more of Sadiq by having Jeremy off the floor. Does that performance by Sadiq, does that change your opinion of his ceiling? No. Or, like, what you think that he could be? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, it's, it's great to see him go off like that. Uh, it was against, you know, he got hot. And he kept shooting, and that's great. The vast majority of you guys are never going to score 50 points or anywhere near 50 points. I'm not taking away from how impressive it was. But, yeah, that's that doesn't substantively alter my opinion of how of, of how he might turn out. I mean, yeah, he went out there, and, you know, no Cade, no Grant. He got to take a ton of shots. And if they were there, it might have just been the scoring getting spread out more. This was also an Orlando defense that had given up to you know 60 points in three quarters to Kyrie Irving a couple nights earlier. And there are also, it's, it's worth noting, some utility guys who score, you know, with those score 50 points. Terrence Ross plays for the Magic now. He's a bench player. He's not that great. Scored 51 at the same age. Corey Brewer scored 50. Uh, he's been out of the league for a while. And so, no, it doesn't really change it. I've been impressed with the way that Sadiq has played. And he's got me thinking, you know, okay, maybe this is a guy who could be number three, the number three guy in a contender, maybe. And that would be awesome. Of yeah. course, I, I still think you would need your number two in that case to be a guy who can really create from the perimeter off the dribble because I don't think that's really ever going to be Sadiq's bread and butter. His bread and butter is going to be his three-point shooting. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I've i always thought of him as like a really good number four option. And this one, I think it did change my mind a little bit. I think it raised what I think his ceiling could be because uh, I agree with you. What he, we saw from him, it, it was really impressive. I think he could actually be you know the third best player on a championship team now. And again, it's like you said, it would depend on you know the guys who are there above him. But he's knocking down threes for whatever. Like, it's really interesting when you watch him. It doesn't look like his three is released that high. But I don't hardly anybody ever blocks it. I don't know if it's because it's such a compact and quick release or what. But guys are not stopping that shot. He's getting it off quickly, and then he's definitely learned to use his strength to drive in there, take contact, and not get bumped off balance. And he's finishing with strength. And that's been such a fun development on the season. And, you know, that makes him a much more complete player. He can attack and he can shoot. And that's going to make guys uh, guard him very closely. And, you know, you kind of have to pick your poison there. So Sadiq, yeah, he's definitely uh, impressed. And this has been a great developmental season for him. Even though, you know, we're both very uh, conscious of the the tank standings, but I'm never going to take away, you know, I'm not upset about a win when it comes on the back of, a 50 piece, you know, 50 point games are special. I don't want to take away from that at all. I'm not going to be upset mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, it's, it was a fun game to watch. And, and yeah, in, in that case, you take the win and you say, yeah, great. As far as blocks, yeah, Sadiq has been blocked three times this season on threes, which is, you know, pretty good, darn good for, for how many threes he now attempts with defenders close to him. He's gotten very good at that. He's just good at finding his position and, and getting the three off very quickly. Yeah, he's attempted like, you know, over 500 threes this season. So, yeah, and he's also talking about on the broadcast that he's, yeah, almost, he's on the verge. Yeah, he's, yep. he's going to break the record for most threes in the season for the Pistons. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so it's good to see. Like I said, I think he'll primarily be a shooter who can create off the dribble rather than a creator who can shoot. And that's an important distinction. But yeah, he's he's definitely progressed by leaps and bounds since they ended the, that horrendous, you know, take the ball at the perimeter and just score with it, please experiment. I mean, it's that was such a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, he was getting stopped short and, you know, taking a lot of those mid-range fadeaways. He's kind of cut those out in favor of it's not just that driving yeah. and finishing with strength. So taking better yeah. shots. Yeah, it's not just that. I mean, he basically he'd drive in. It, it The defense had no trouble coming to help. And he'd either take a flat-footed layup through multiple coverage or take a runner through contact, yeah, or take one of those mid-range pull-ups or post-up and miss. And yeah, he's, he's not really attempting that offense from the, from the perimeter on in, that sort of ISO offense. He passes the ball now when he needs to, you know, when he makes the right reads and he passes the ball. He sometimes does a mid-range pull-up, but kind of a little bit different. He tends to, to stop and take his time at this point. And yeah, the attempts to finish through multiple coverage and the attempts to finish from, you know, from the paint on difficult offense, that's all gone. He's attempting smart offense and he's a smart player. And we've known that since before he was drafted. So yeah, if he can be the number three guy in a championship team, you know, fantastic. You've, you've really made a big leap toward contention. Of course, this team still needs a lot more talent before it's going anywhere. I mean, I think that should be reiterated, but if you got conceivably your number one, or your number three guy, then great. And if he's the number four guy, that's also great. Absolutely. I think it's going to, it's like you said, it's going to depend more on who's in front of him. Uh, the number one, number two guy, they have to be able to create more for oh, him. Kid, but of course. he's definitely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that number two guy still yet to be found. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, hopefully we'll talk about that guy later. Yeah. Um, and you got to wonder where that could possibly be found in this draft. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, you can, you can think, you know, who knows, maybe if Hami becomes like a 40% three point shooter and suddenly and can shoot pull up threes, you know, maybe he's a guy who can give you 25 points per game and maybe, you know, maybe you've got a pretty good core there, but that's, that's a really big if. So yeah, be, I'm right. not banking on that one. <laughs> no, I'm not either. Uh, it would make me very, very happy, but yeah, I'm, I'm not banging on it either. All right. So let's move on to the March madness prospects checkup, so to speak. So, uh, first of all is, well, everybody's most talked about prospect, I suppose, you know, for the most part anyway. Uh, and that's, uh, the human skeleton himself, Chet Holmgren. So, uh, two games, Gonzaga has made it to sweet 16. Uh, they had a bit of a scare against Memphis, not a great game. Yeah, they shot absolutely terribly from the free throw line. It was really bizarre. But yeah, big game against, oh goodness, which team was this? Uh, Georgia State, right. So Chet finished with uh, 19 points, 17 rebounds, five assists, uh, seven blocks, and two steals. Pretty impressive, of course. It's also a uh, 16 seed. And Georgia, <laughs> Georgia State's bigs ended up in this hilarious rash of foul trouble. I mean, by like halfway through the second, they had nobody. They they'd brought in this guy who had barely played any minutes to play against like one of the top teams. They get the team that had finished number one in the in the, in the end of season top twenty five. So, uh, yeah, and then I think quite a bit less impressive against Memphis. What are your thoughts on him? 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, for me, easily, the, the matchup of Duran versus Chet was going to be the one that I really wanted to see. That was my most anticipated matchup for sure. And Chet didn't, I'll just say this. It's very frustrating from a from a talent evaluation standpoint that Chet plays next to Drew Timmy. Oh, yes. Uh, unless you, I mean, if you consider Chet to be a four, maybe it's not that bad. But I, I still think that at least defensively he should be a five just because of what he does near the rim. And in that game, they, you didn't really get that matchup a ton for a couple reasons. One, because Drew Timmy's out there playing the five a lot. And two, Duran got into a lot of early foul trouble that kept him off the floor for a long stretch there, kind of midway through that game. And Chet ended up doing most of his damage in terms of scoring against their backup center, Dandridge. Uh, but he shot four of seven on field goals and then 0 of three from three. You know, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot is banking on whether Chet can shoot the three ball reliably. I don't put too much stock into March Madness games in terms of like how I evaluate their whole season. But mm-hmm. if you want to talk about how it affects Maybe how you evaluate how clutch they are. Maybe that's a factor for you. I don't put too much stock into that. We had a big shot last year with Jalen Suggs and think in the final four that sent them to the championship game. Yeah, I was and a Suggs is mostly disappointed. Yeah, it's no, I mean it's stuff no. like that, but it's worth mentioning that you know Chet he really struggled a lot against Duran, and that was the big thing. Duran has fifty pounds on him. It's worth mentioning that Dandridge does as well, but. Duran is more mobile. He was able to corral him, keep him away from the basket. He forced a lot of tough offense from Chet, and I think that's a big part of the reason why Chet didn't shoot very much against him, and that's why he finished with fairly low field goals. Uh, and that's kind of what we were looking for. You know, We wanted to see how does Chet deal with size, and I think he struggled a fair bit on offense. Uh, defensively, though, he was fine. You know, he The matchups that he did have against Duran, uh, he was – handling him i mean he's it's it comes down to what we talked about last week where the mobility allows him to get tremendous position to just keep his hands up and force really tough shots mm-hmm. um i mean i'll let you say what you want to say about chet because it rolls right into duran uh, that you kind of when you talk about that game you kind of want to go back and forth on them so what were your thoughts on chet so chet it was really noticeable the difficulty he had gaining position so there are two things here number one there is drew timmy and yeah, that is a confounding factor. And Drew Timmy is just an example of a college guy, in my opinion, an example of a college guy who really excels in the NCAA and whose game is incredibly unlikely to, tra- to translate to the NBA. But they're fielding the guy who's going to give them the best chance of winning in the now. Of course, this is not, <laughs> the NCAA has not a, a development platform for the NBA. So Chet is in uh, a strange situation in which he often ends up getting squeezed out by Gonzaga's guards and Drew Timmy. So it makes it a lot harder to see how he would operate on the pick and roll or how he'd operate if he were getting fed more down low or just how he would operate as more of a center on offense when he just gets squeezed out to the perimeter a lot. And like against Georgia State, he was able to get his stuff done. I mean, Georgia State didn't really have a hope against Gonzaga in the first place, but against Memphis, he just couldn't really find his way into the game offensively. On defense, he was still good. Uh, It's worth noting he did fall out. But on defense, he was still pretty good. Uh, I think he did a good job against Duran, who had a horrible shooting game. You know, notwithstanding the fact that he, he didn't play all that much, he had a horrible shooting game, and a lot of that was Chet. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's it the situation makes it harder to evaluate certain things about him. But he does have a difficulty establishing position uh, as a result of his weight. He's not a guy who can just go right into the interior and get himself in a good spot. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things. Those guys were fighting very hard for position. I think 
Uh, Duran ultimately did get the the better of that one. Uh, but you could tell that, like, once even when Duran got to the basket against Chet, like, once he actually had to finish over or around him, he struggled. I think Chet blocked him a couple times. And then there was one shot where uh, Jalen tried to compensate against Chet's length, and he, he put up more of like a flip shot, you know, something that you see, you know, guards when they're attacking the inside, they get stopped short and they try to, you know, get the shot up over length. That's something that you see more from them. Jalen tried to do that. And that's impressive because you, you really got to see like the height difference. Both of these guys have a seven foot five wingspan, but Chet definitely has a few inches on him. And yeah, Duran, I think it's Duran's probably about six. He's close to six, nine. Yeah. But it, it usually, it doesn't matter. The guy is so freakishly athletic. And the other thing I'll say about the defense from these guys, uh, Duran, he did keep up with Chet when Chet was on the perimeter. Like Chet tried to, you know, draw him out and then threatened to take like a jumper. And Jalen followed him all the way out there. And Chet tried to drive it inside and it didn't end up mattering. Uh, Chet was not able to get off easy shots. He wasn't able to take advantage of his speed. You know, you talk about the, the I think the comp comes up uh, Drummond and Duran, but the the big difference that I see, at least defensively, is that Duran can move. You know, the, the size, it's it's not a matter of, uh, you know, he's too heavy to shift his weight yeah. well. He, he handled it. You know, that yeah, was another thing that you want to see. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, Drummond was considered to be highly athletic. I, I don't hold to that comp like uh, closely. It's just something that gives me pause a little bit. Yeah, like, I think that one's more of a mentality thing, but I think it, it looked fine to me. The intensity was there. Yeah, I'm both, I mean, it's not even just mentality. I mean, this is a raw traditional center, raw, highly athletic traditional center. I mean, Drummond was very quick. Drummond was, like back then, there were people who said, you know, he may be one of the best centers in the league. You know, this is back before the spacing era began, and, and right. the value of traditional centers went down a great deal. But they're like, you know, here's a guy who's freakishly athletic and, you know, runs the floor incredibly well. And he was just, he was an extremely athletic center at a time when centers still really weren't all that quick. So, but I mean, even when you leave Drummond out of there, you know, you think about Duran, like I, you were impressed by his defensive performance. I don't think he's really has a ton in the way of defensive smarts. Maybe he has enough to handle himself at the NCAA level. But if you're drafting a traditional center, it's like you better hope if you're drafting him high. It's like you better hope really what you're hoping for is that he's a lead on defense because he's, he's going to have deficiencies on offense. Uh, it's worth noting that we did not see Duran take any jumpers as far as I can remember. He took one long oh, mid-range. Long yeah. mid-range. Oh, right. I remember. Yeah, he that was it. with Chet guarding him. So that was definitely one where he, he didn't feel like he was going to be able to take him. It was a bad shot. Finish. Yeah, it, was, yeah it, that was, was, it is a bad shot. No, that, that was a really bad shot. Uh, it was like halfway through the second half, I think, or more than that, actually. Yeah, sure. It may have, may have been further into the game, and, and they really needed You know, it would have been much better for them to get a good opportunity, and, and a, a long two from Jalen Duran is not a good opportunity. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, and then there was the fact that his – I mean, the guy finished against Gonzaga three of 11 for seven points. That is a horrendous performance from a traditional center down low at one point. Uh, well, actually, he was, he was two of 10 at one point. That doesn't really make a difference. He finished three and 11 after Chet flopped on him <laughs> and Turin got a dunk. But yeah, in terms of his scoring, I mean, a guy who's that athletic and whose game is going to depend that much on finishing at a high percentage in the interior, it was just a little bit discouraging to see. Even though it was Chet, it was still discouraging to see, and I feel like Duran really could have uh, really could have pushed him around quite a bit more than he did. Yeah, I mean Chet, he he he's still able to handle himself, but he definitely did seem to struggle with the size. It's once they get to the rim, Chet is able to make use of his length, and it doesn't end up mattering that much. Like 
but again, it, it'll when we get to the NBA and it's it's bigger guys, more athletic guys. Duran's plenty athletic. I don't think he's going to be. I think he'll step into the league and he'll probably be top fifteen in terms of athleticism on for in terms of for centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's really a phenomenal athlete. So I, I mean, it's a good matchup, and that's definitely one that we wanted to see. Uh, but I think both of them did what they were supposed to do. They did what was advertised. Uh, if you want to talk about uh, Jalen's offensive struggles, I mean, it's worth mentioning that Memphis is not doing him any favors. He's supposed to be finishing plays, and there they just don't have that many guys who can initiate them or create offense. Yeah, uh, and then Chet. I mean, like the the defense, the IQ, it's it's as advertised. Like even this guy who's got fifty pounds on him, once they get to the hoop, Chet's able to make full use of his length and he's making shots tough. Uh, but he's again, he's struggling to get his own shot off, struggling to establish position. And you know, during re- I really think that, in, at least in the first half, he was anchoring a very strong defense. Like Gonzaga was really having trouble getting anything going on the inside. They were taking a lot of threes. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were uncomfortable with that. So I, I, I would have to disagree with you in terms of uh, Jalen's defensive IQ. I think that it's there. It's maybe more of a matter of intensity, and maybe there is a learning curve once he gets to the NBA. But I thought positionally he did very well. It was just foul trouble. Some I of them got, were ticky-tack fouls. I think he could have been a lot more assertive. And the, that was the case even in the game against Boise State. I was really unimpressed by him. Here's the thing about Duran. This is worth mentioning. He was 7-22 to in the tournament. He scored 17 points on 22 shots, counting uh, two trips to the line. He was not good offensively, like by any stretch. And in the Boise State game, and Boise State is not a, a great team, uh, whatever. I mean, it was it was a seven against an eight. Pretty much a lot of the time, he was just out there. Really, all he was providing was rebounding. I mean, the guy just has trouble finding his way into the game, and part of that's that he's a traditional center, and some of that is coaching there. But I just really wasn't impressed by his level of engagement, his level of assertiveness. And, and that was true against Gonzaga as well. Again, I really think that he could have taken more advantage of the size difference. I mean, Chet is a fantastic defender, but I think he could have taken more advantage of the fact that, again, literally he has more than 50 pounds on Chet, I think. I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah, Durant's 250. Yeah, so depending on what Chet's weight is, 190, 195, is more than 50 pounds, you know, between 50, 55 and 60 pounds. So I just wasn't impressed. And his offense was legitimately bad, like really legitimately bad. So... In my opinion, not very encouraging and probably befitting a guy who's likely to go in, you know, probably 10 to 14, I would guess, in a really weak class. I guess I saw it differently than you, Matt. I I don't think that he's, you know, top five by any stretch, but I could see him going as high as eight, maybe seven, if the right team and the right fit is there. I think that the tools are there. I just don't think that he was on. I think the roster around him was terrible. I don't like Penny Hardaway's game management, Uh, but yeah, no, it's. It's very frustrating. They left him out there for too long when he picked up early fouls, and then they had to hold him out for a long time. But when he was able to play his game, like he's effective. It's just yeah. there's hardly anybody who can generate offense for him. Yeah, I hear That's you. Kind of against, of it. against Boise State, though, he wasn't dealing with a Holmgren. He wasn't really dealing with a strong defender. He was 4 of 11 for 10 points in 30 minutes, and he really wasn't I great on defense. Either. I don't know who he was playing against. Yeah. I, I agree with you that he, he should be more dominant on offense given his size and you know, the natural tools that he has. I don't, I don't know why he doesn't get more, but again, they don't, they don't really run. Yeah, I know that. Some of this goes on to him as well, though. I mean, again, like I think you were impressed with his level of engagement on defense. I don't know. I I missed the first half. Full full disclosure. I missed the first half against Gonzaga because I was watching the Pistons play, but um, yeah, against Boise State, I watched that whole game. Not impressed. 
like just not impressed with him at all. Uh, one thing I did see that's a little nice is that the guy is actually pretty good at making reads in terms of passes, but it's just his level of compete and assertiveness in the interior around the basket in particular is just not there. And uh, plays are not, I mean, that's, that's concerning for a guy who's really, you want to be a traditional son in the NBA, you got to score at a high percentage in the interior. And as far as defense yet, yeah, the guy can move his feet. You know, he's quick, he's switchable. He's got some work to do on decision-making, but I just don't think he's a super smart defender either. And if you've got a guy who's, again, you got to, if you're going to be a traditional center, I mean, you got to, you got to be a respectable defender. Maybe he will be in the NBA, but I don't think he's going to be a high level defender. It's just my, my sense about him, not just from this tournament in general. All right. Uh, moving on to Paolo Boncaro. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Paolo, but <laughs> as you know, if you listen to the last episode, we'll go into it. Duke's on to the Sweet 16. Unfortunately, they beat Michigan State. But uh, Paulo had a couple of pretty good showings. Uh, not like fantastic from an efficiency standpoint, uh, but, you know, pretty good. Uh, what were your thoughts just on what you saw about Pancaro? Yeah, just on those two games, he shot 7 of 14 on field goals and then 2 of 4 from 3 versus Cal State. And then against MSU, he had 8 of 14 on field goals and then 2 of 5 from 3. It's worth mentioning, uh, at least in the MSU game, both of his makes from three were catch and shoot. He had plenty of time to get him off. But it's it's really more of the same. You know, some, if the shots fall, his game looks great on a highlight reel because you know, he's pulling up for mid-range. He's, you know, turnaround fadeaways. It, it's a pretty game. The problem is the percentages over the course of the season are not great. And we talked about that in the last episode. And I didn't see anything here that really you know, changes my mind on that. I still think that his type of athleticism is like, it's in, it's in the vein, not the vein. It's good for the NCAA. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Julius takes a lot of, that's a good comp. It's, I don't know if he has that kind of strength. I I don't know Julius Randall's game all that well. I mean, play style wise. Yeah. I can see the similarities, but it's, it's really more the athleticism. That's a problem for me. And then the three ball. Mm-hmm. Again, 50% and then 40%. That looks good, but I think on the season he's at 32%. Not encouraging, but it's really the athleticism. I don't think he's going to dominate with size in the NBA the way that he does in college, and that's really the problem because a lot of what he does, it's reliant on burst, putting his shoulder into guys, and then finishing with strength, and he does that against college centers, college bigs, but I don't think that's going to be you know a regular thing that he's More doing that. in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, he a lot of his game is based around generating mismatches, guys he can really bludgeon. I think it's worth noting that the difference between the NCAA, the average defender in the NCAA, the average player in the NCAA, and the average player in the NBA is gigantic. I mean, it is huge. The NBA is the elite of the elite, oh, the elite of the elite, and your margins are very, very, very slim. I mean, something small can make a big difference. So, what I see and what I continue to see with Paulo, what I saw earlier in the season, what I can what I've seen in his first two games in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, a lot of what he does is just taking NCAA uh, defenders off the dribble. He is taller than most of them. He was stronger than almost all of them. He's skilled, don't get me wrong, but he just takes them off the dribble and, you know, sometimes he'll get stopped and attempt a mid-range shot, mid-range pull-ups. You know, good luck to you, Paolo, but you, like, in all likelihood, you're not going to be able to make those efficient in the NBA. You certainly have not in the NCAA, but in the NBA, it's going to be even harder. Or he'll finish below the rim at the basket, and it's like, well, in the NBA... Like, sure, Paolo can make the right read and pass when he gets doubled. He's going to get doubled, I think, less in the NBA. And also, if your help is coming, and as it often will, uh, if the help defense, particularly the center, is coming from the direction of where you want to pass, and this is a much better defender than you're going to face in the NCAA, 
and much more athletic, you can get swatted a lot more or stopped. So this just strikes me as a very strong NCAA player whose strengths really aren't going to translate all that well to the NBA. You're right about his athleticism. He is not a good athlete. He's not a good leaper. He's not explosive. Um, yeah, more than- I wanted to mention... I wanted to mention the three ball, just the mm-hmm. fact that it was a lot of catch and shoot because a big well, part of in the first game the yeah. appeal against MSU, yeah. MSU, I think he had a couple pull ups or both of his I threes, saw catch and shoot. I can't remember. He could be right. Yeah. Either way. I mean, the, the problem is that a lot of what Boncaro does well for Duke, it's, it's reliant on him having the ball in his hands and you don't want a high usage player who's inefficient on, you know, most of his shots. So that's a bit of a problem. It's still, I, again, Nothing that I've seen from him in the tournament or throughout the year has really changed my mind on the idea that he's going to be of an inefficient volume score at the NBA level if he continues to play the way that he's playing at the college level. It looks really imp- impressive, you know, on these YouTube highlight reels. Uh, but when you factor in the misses and the percentages, it kind of falls apart for me. Yeah. Uh, if you believe in the athleticism, I think that he's really interesting. And, and then the passing, of course, is really good. The footwork is Super crisp. I like it when it works, but when he gets stopped short and he's like spinning away from the basket for a fadeaway, when he makes it, it looks really nice, but he's going to miss a lot of those shots and it's going to get frustrating if you're watching that night to night in the NBA. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you got to be able to make that offense efficient. He attempts a lot of difficult offense, spin around fadeaways, pull up, uh, you know, pull up mid range. If you can make those work in the NBA, more power to you, you'll be very difficult to guard, but most, the vast majority of guys can't. So, and I agree with you. He's, he's continued to do nothing to demonstrate to me that he can be a good off the ball, you know, that he can be a valuable off the ball player. And I don't think Paulo Boncaro is ever going to be good enough in the NBA to justify him playing tremendously on the ball. So right. still not a big fan. A quick word from our sponsor. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the college hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbooks. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, moving on to Keegan Murray. We only got one game out of him, and it was not a good one. Uh, ostensibly looks, you know, looks good on the stat line, 8 of 15. Uh, didn't hit anything from three, but it's 21 points, nine rebounds, two assists. Um, so... He really disappeared in the second half against Richmond. Uh, like we mentioned last episode that Sam Bassini, whom we both think pretty highly of as a draft analyst, Compton with Tobias Harris, unfortunately we saw. Uh, he looked a lot like Tobias in this game in a bad way. Tobias Harris has uh, a habit of allowing himself to be squeezed out of offense, out of the offense and just being a non-factor. And in the second half, uh, Keegan Murray had a lot of trouble finding his way into the offense. Some of this was coaching, but a lot of it was just that he didn't have any easy route to get into the interior. He was doing a lot of posting up. And, uh, you know, he, he hit some shots on drop steps and hooks. This is not stuff he's going to be doing in the NBA. I mean, the defenders, it's the post offense is hard to pull off uh, efficiently. The vast majority of guys, because it's just not easy offense and he's not going to be able to bully guys with his strength. So he just couldn't find his way in. He just couldn't score against Richmond's defense in the second. Uh, it was really unpleasant to see. It really highlighted how, dependent he is upon his strength the thing that we really wanted to see out of him was scoring more through finesse and agility and not through brute strength didn't do that and 
Yeah, he just became a non-factor in like the last 15 minutes of the game. And that's bad, needless to say. That's just bad. And um, uh, I'm sad that this this is the only piece of data I'm going to get on him in, in the NCAA tournament. And that this is going to be the the only memory that I have when we're talking about drafting later on. Because I know the Pistons <laughs> are big on him. Yeah, and again, I mean, you mentioned that he didn't hit anything from three. He shot a little three in this game. When you look at his overall season stats, it's, it paints a better picture. I think he's he's probably closer to like 37% on threes this season, maybe maybe higher. Uh, but that's a big part of the intrigue. Maybe if he was hitting his shots, he would have felt more confident to take that shot from outside. Maybe they defend him differently. Maybe he's able to take advantage uh, of his size. Murray, Murray is at around 40% in the season. Oh, yeah, that's even better. But, uh, yeah, this game, it just didn't come down. And, yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I'm disappointed that this is the only uh, game that we get to see from him. Not a good way to go out. But overall in the season, I, I mean, again, the, the way you play in the tournament doesn't really change how I feel about you for the most part. Yeah. So it's not a huge deal, but I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was a great showing from him. Yeah, I mean, it's on the biggest stage. That's part of it. Sure. And, you know, the March Madness is partly, partly March Madness because crazy things can happen. It's a single elimination tournament. But it was just really distressing to me to see him, you know, guy – you know, don't get me wrong, being uh, Naismith player of the year, I don't think it necessarily automatically qualifies a guy to be good in the NBA. He'll probably win it. It's just like he just got squeezed out against a not very good team. They just based, they made him a non-factor. He could not find his way into the interior off the dribble. So Yeah, pretty uh, big upset. Yeah, that's that's worrying. He's going to be about 22 with the draft. Of course, there's still time for further growth, but um, it doesn't make me feel any better about his ceiling than I felt before. All right, uh, a quick one, A.J. Griffin. Hasn't really done too much. You know, 10 points on four of nine, two of seven from three against uh, uh, CSU Fullerton, I think, against Michigan State uh, before he checked out. I think he got injured, though. He played 37 minutes first, uh, seven points on three of seven shooting, one of three from three. So uh, an issue with A.J. Griffin is that he can really get pushed to the periphery of the offense, especially with Boncaro and, uh, and with Duke's guards. So we just didn't see much of him. I'd yeah, we just haven't seen much of him at all. I don't think there's anything. But there are pretty much zero takeaways at this point. Uh, he might have hurt his ankle. I remain petrified of his injuries, you know, of his potential for injuries. The, the twisted ankle is what it is, a sprained ankle. So yeah, I wish you got higher usage, but that's not going to happen in this Duke roster. Yep, yeah. You want to talk about a wing who uh, actually is playing with fairly high usage? Uh, I mean, if you consider him a wing, and he got 6'10", <laughs> probably playing power forward at the NBA level. I think he will. I mean, he, he's primarily a perimeter-oriented player. It's, We're talking about uh, Jabari Smith at this point. Yeah, a wing, though. A wing is a guy who's going to be playing uh, shooting guard, small forward. Jabari Smith's almost certainly not going to be playing shooting guard. More power to him if he can make it work. He'd be unguardable, but, uh, you know, from the three-point line. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, some good, some really bad. Yeah, they played uh, – Jabari Smith and Auburn were eliminated early. A lot of people had them winning the whole thing, so it was – Pretty shocking to me, at least. Uh, Jabari Smith, I, I, don't, I don't have a stat line in front of me from his game against Jackson State, but he shot four of seven from three. At one point, he was four of five. Uh, but then in uh, the second game against Miami, he shot three of 16 on field goals, one of eight from three. And you know, that, that's kind of the, the thing with Jabari Smith. If he's, if his outside shot isn't falling, he really yeah. doesn't have a way of attacking the inside. Well, it's not that he doesn't have a way of attacking the inside. He just he doesn't. And that's kind of the big concern with him. But he's been such a good shooter overall throughout the season that it hasn't really bothered many people. And he, I still have him number one overall on my board. I'm very high on what he can bring. It's just, you know, this is a bad time for this kind of performance to happen. You know, I take a lot of shots and a lot of them don't go in. So not a good showing from Jabari Smith. Uh, he's definitely a big part of generating uh, advantages for that team. And if his shots aren't falling, you know, 
that's not happening. So I I don't know. How did you feel about that game? Not great. I mean, it basically just highlighted the issue with Jabari right now is that, you know, he's an elite three-point shooter. I think he's projected as an elite three-point shooter into the NBA. He can do some three-point shooting off of pull-ups, for example, uh, in isolation. You know, great. That's a skill he has. That's a skill that is extremely useful in the NBA, especially because he can shoot it over most players. Now, this highlighted his weakness, which is that he doesn't really do much aside from that. I mean, you've seen at times this season that, okay, sometimes he'll post up on smaller players and sometimes he'll take mid-range pull-ups, though not often, and I can't speak to his degree of success. I don't think very successfully, though I'd have to look it up. But yeah, if his three ball isn't falling, I mean, he disappeared. Uh, he was one of eight from three. He was two of eight from the interior. Did great at rebounding in both games. Who knows if he'll do quite as well in the NBA. I mean, he's, he's tall, he's got a good wingspan, but I think he'll get pushed around a little bit more easily at the NBA level. But yeah, it, it just it highlighted his issues, which is that he doesn't try to attack the basket, for example. And I don't know if he's just content to, to rest on what he's good at right now, but that's not ideal. And it just highlights how weak this draft is that a guy who's primarily at this point just a perimeter shooter, like an elite one, but just a perimeter shooter, might go number one overall. Good defender, but on offense, just a perimeter shooter. Yep. Yeah. His shot wasn't falling. Be... In. Yeah, and he yeah. fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. He did have one really nice poster dunk, like chest to chest with the center, but he got the step on a guy, uh, whoever was supposed to be guarding him. I think they were slightly off to the side. It, he, he recognized it and he attacked, and that's great. But it's it's not really – finishing isn't his problem. It's getting there. You know, he does not like to, uh, I don't know, drive on players. So that's – it's concerning. Maybe NBA spacing will help him, but it really feels like a mental thing to me. So not not super encouraging there. It's not a good way to go out of the tournament. Again, they had very high expectations for this team. And, you know, anything short of probably Final Four is – an early exit for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm looking down the stat sheet now as far as mid-range shots go. Some good, some very bad. Uh, unfortunately, these stats don't tell us exactly what was you know what were pull-ups and what weren't, though. So, yeah, mid-range in general, 37%. Not great. So, you know, guys can improve. And maybe Jabari Smith is just Jumbo Middleton. Who knows? Yeah, he but, takes a lot of long twos, which is frustrating. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, if he's not going to be a guy who attacks the baskets... That's yeah, going to be a shot that he takes a lot. If yeah, nobody definitely. Out, so, unfortunately. I mean, again, it's frustrating because Jabari might have gone number six last year. Like, if you were in last yeah. year's draft, almost certainly. You'd be looking at this guy, elite, you know, elite three-point shooter, but what else does he offer? It would have measured up very poorly against the top five. Um, so, yeah. Uh, another short review, Johnny Davis. Neither of us like him. Uh, we both had bad things to say about him in, uh, in our last episode. He did absolutely nothing to dispel those got to the line. I mean, uh, yeah, Wisconsin lost. They got upset uh, by Illinois. Uh, their offense was horrible. They didn't even reach 50 Iowa points. State. Iowa State, excuse me. Yeah, they, they didn't even reach 50 points. Uh, Davis was 4 of 16. The guy is of the shot grader archetype. He attempts a lot of really inefficient uh, mid-range offense. He's not very athletic. He's not great at getting in the basket. Yeah, he shot 4 of 16. Um, not ideal. I'm not a fan. Yeah, 0 of 7 from 3. Yeah, 0 of 7 from 3. Yeah, that too. I mean, if this guy can get it together as a three-point shooter, maybe you have this sort of microwave off the bench, maybe. But, you know, right now he's just the very picture of high volume, low efficiency. And and he doesn't even take a lot of threes. I think 24% of his shots are three-pointers. Yeah, there were half half of them in this one. Yeah, close close to half of his shots. And I think he's a bench player in the NBA best. Uh, All right, moving on to another one who is uh, one of your favorites, Jaden Ivey. So, uh, yeah. 
yeah, the Boilermakers are in the Sweet 16. So Ivy, 6-13 from the field, 3-6 from 3, 22 points, uh, 1 assist against Yale. And then against Texas, 4-7, 18 points, 2-4 from 3, 3 assists. Um, yeah, my issue, he's still, aside from you know his threes, especially in the first game, I think uh, two or three of his, his three-point attempts against Texas for pull-ups, he just did very little off the ball. I mean, the guy just remains by far at his best attacking downhill with the ball in his hands. And that's that's a fit question with Cade that we'll talk about plenty later. But yeah, it's just Pistons have a, a high volume handler right now and want another one. I still think that his ideal role is a combo guard. And I think he could take on that secondary ball handling. But and again, I mean, yeah, we don't we'll, we'll get on into all of that when we do the single prospect episode. The thing I was looking for in this tournament was does he shoot it well from three? Uh, he's it's not that I put more stock into these performances. It's still like he's still had a rough, you know, second half of the college season in terms oh, of to say the distance. Least. <laughs> but it's encouraging uh, that he's taking these shots and making them. And again, a, a lot of the makes that he had were, well, actually, it was a good mix of pull ups and catch and shoot, which is encouraging. It's not that it, and, and even the misses, like they're not bad. So you know, when you watch the when you watch the film, you'll notice he takes his shots from like two or three feet behind the long line, which I still don't understand why he does that. I don't know if it's that he's afraid he's going to get blocked because he kind of has What's NBA his, release point, his release point is pretty similar to Tyrese Halliburton's, maybe a little bit lower, but his release is, it's not that it's a bad shot. It's just a little low. It's more of a push shot, which again, if you're going to take it from further away, you can get that shot off easier, but your percentages are probably going to hurt. Uh, so when it comes to the NBA, you know, when you want to project that out, it probably hurts him a little bit there. But the touch is fine. I think the shot looks nice. And uh, overall, his when it, it, when he goes to attack the basket, he's still he's looking to kill anybody who's under that rim. Yeah. He's phenomenal good. at getting to the basket. Yeah, and that's good. I just, again, he does the vast majority of his best work on the ball. That, you know, that, that, sure. that's, the issue, that's, that's the issue I have. And that, that comes down to fit. I mean, if the Pistons didn't have Cade on the team, you know, if they had drafted Mobley, for example, and Killian Hayes was the primary ball handler, I would say, screw it. You know, absolutely draft the guy. But I was really looking to see what he could do off the ball. He's not being asked to do a ton off the ball uh, because this is what he's best at. This is what I think would be best at in the NBA. It is worth noting that in the first half against Texas, I don't know why they didn't do this in the second half. They were just playing his defender like chest. His defender was playing basically chest to chest on him when he was off the ball and they were just sealing him off. And that made life very difficult on him. Because for the most part, he's just waiting. He's just moving around the perimeter, waiting to get the ball so he can attack. And when he did get it, they were doubling him, especially if they could push him toward uh, uh, toward the outside. And he had a lot of trouble with that. I'm not sure why it changed, why they changed what they were doing. So, yeah, I, I don't know if we'll see what he what he's really. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'll see them bother to to do more with him off the ball because he's just by far at his best. However, I think that in the NBA, he's just going to be a guy who attacks downhill with the ball in his hands, and that's going to be his primary skill. But we'll see. I don't think I'm going to see what I want to see from him just because it doesn't make sense for Purdue to do it. All right. And the last one, Benedict Matherin. So first game, seven of 18 from the field, four of, uh, four of 10 from three, 18 points. And then he was huge against, uh, against TCU in a game in which uh, number one seeded Arizona was almost knocked off. They won uh, 85 to 80 in overtime, eight of 19 from the field, only three of 11 from three, but 30 points, four assists, eight rebounds, two steals, uh, including the game tying three. He took it, he crossed the guy over and ran him into the screen and then took a pull-up three. Uh, Matherin's growing on me. I really like his intensity. I really like his athleticism. He's already a good shooter. He can already shoot off the move. 
and we're seeing him attack the rim more. And when he really asserts himself and, and just goes curls around a screen and goes straight to the basket, I mean, even at the NBA level, I think defenders will have some difficulty keeping up with him. Also, the guy's just a competitor, though. I really like that. Not a huge fan of his body language toward his teammates, but he's clearly a competitor. And, uh, and that, that's always good to have. So uh, if there's going to be a riser in this tournament, I think it's going to be him. Yeah, I can agree with that. I could see him playing into top six consideration. I remember early on in the season, or like midway through the college season, I was a lot higher on Matherin's archetype, especially for the Pistons over Johnny Davis. And this was like peak Davis hype. I just never been a huge fan of his you know, shot profile. But yeah, no, Matherin having a good tournament. I definitely agree with the idea that you know this could be really good for his draft position. The only thing that I see wrong with him, and the reason I think he's kind of outside of the top five is one, he's, he's kind of got a, a lower projected ceiling because of the role that he kind of plays. He's kind of, he, he, he's probably going to be a very athletic three and D role player. And the other thing is that this is the big difference between him and Ivy. For me, this is the reason I have Ivy over Matherin, even though Matherin projects as a better three point shooter is that Matherin gets stopped short on the way to the basket a lot more than Ivy does. And I think that's only going to get worse in the NBA because, you know, better competition, better defense. And I think that the athleticism that he displays is going to matter less because he's not a supreme athlete. He's just really good for the college level. No, I think he's a pretty darn good athlete. I think he'd be a pretty darn good athlete even at the NBA level. I mean, a guy... I, I think if that was the case, he wouldn't get stopped short so often well, in, the, in some the of Some of that is either. just uh, is how you conduct yourself on the drive. I mean, Ivy is excellent at changing directions, for example. I mean, that's helpful. Matherin really isn't super athletic in that capacity. Also... You know, some of it comes down to the mental. Maybe it's something you can be taught. I think it's worth noting that he does make fairly good reads, and sometimes he can make. He's some, getting better there for sure. Yeah. Yep, he's getting better. I just, uh, I don't know. Maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, but I have an impression of a guy who could actually improve quite a bit off the drive and at the NBA level. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he's he's a pretty darn good athlete. I think he'll be a good off ball player. I don't think he's necessarily going to be restricted to three and D. And though, uh, when I say faint shades i mean really faint shades he's giving me like really really faint shades of donovan mitchell for some reason i don't know if that has any merit to it whatsoever but uh, i'm excited to see what he can do later in the tournament uh, i feel like he really asserted himself in that game and that was good to see yeah i think their final four uh favorites yeah so we'll I, probably see a bit more of him yeah i mean you've got uh who's the center uh i can't remember the name that's coloco. coming up coloco yeah he's he's been good to see as well it's yeah. just been enjoyable to watch who knows what the nba upside is but it's been fun to watch. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, we're planning on doing that tankathon sim. I suppose we could just breeze through it. So uh, this was sure. a ridiculous sim. Uh, as like we said in the last episode, this was New York jumping to number one, Sacramento jumping to number two, and the Trailblazers jumping to number three. As, a, as things currently stand, a 0.085% chance of that happening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll just blow through what we think the picks would be for those teams and who the Pistons should go uh, would go with in that situation. This would be a terrible scenario. Uh, all of us would hate it. Pistons back drafting number six. So I'll start with New York. I'd say they go Chet. They yeah. have no center. They have no center of the future there. Mitchell Robinson's nothing special. Nerlens Noel's a stopgap. Uh, they have a guy they can play next to Julius Randle, whom I'm sure they are hoping will improve because he has been quite bad this season. But uh, you know your other principles on that team. I don't really have too many. R.J. Barrett has improved this season, but still wasn't all that great. And who else? Uh, I, I think they'd go with the with the talent with the highest you know conceivable highest ceiling. Uh, which is probably Chet. Maybe you think about Ivy, but not with RJ already on the team. So uh, who would you go with for number two would be Sacramento? For Sacramento, I, th- I don't think that uh, fit plays too much of a role here. I think you go Jabari Smith Jr. Sacramento mm-hmm. is kind of similar to us. They just need talent. And 
a good shooting wing would be really good for that two-man game that they have with Fox and uh, Sabonis now. Mm-hmm. So give them space, and I think Jabari Smith could really help that team. Yeah, could definitely be helpful. Like, uh, yep. yeah. Uh, all right, number three would be uh, the Portland Blazers. Trailblazers. Yeah, uh, this is where it gets quite a bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you've got Willard, you've got Simons, and uh, you know Chet's already off the board. Uh, Nurkic, of course, isn't the future there. Uh, they're really weak at forward. They remain very weak at forward. Uh, Josh Hart's probably got a future there. So, uh, my goodness, whom will we even be thinking about here? Uh, this yeah, is a bon- team. Uh, Boncaro, maybe Griffin. No, definitely Peter not. Bon- definitely not Boncaro. I mean, when you've got Willard, Willard and Simons on the team, that, that these guys are going to swallow up so much possession. And these are not guys you want hanging around while Paulo Boncaro uh, handles the ball in high volume. So, I'd say this is a team that maybe takes a good look at Keegan Murray. That'll be a disappointing outcome for them. Definitely not Ivy for obvious reasons. They are not going. Yeah. To, this this team would not even take a glance at Ivy with uh, with Willard, and unless they were just to, to abruptly decided to trade Willard. So uh, this team, I think, would take a good look at Keegan Murray just as a solid guy at one of the forward spots. Uh, you play him next to Josh Hart. Who knows? I mean, your your stars are going to be your guards. Uh, all right. So number four, uh, that is it's the Orlando, Orlando Magic. Yeah, I think they take Boncaro. I think at this point you just take talent. They yeah. do not need Jaden Ivey. They have Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, both of those guys project as decent guards in the future. Uh, they're both, I mean, uh, Cole Anthony had a stretch where he had he was putting up like legitimate all-star numbers. Mm-hmm. It's a flash, but he's a second or third year player, so you'll take it. And I don't think you want to split that uh, too much. I'm still fairly high on Suggs' long-term potential. I know he hasn't been playing very well. But I don't think that he's played poorly enough that you're giving up on him functionally after one season. Yeah, first and, year player. You know, exactly. And Boncaro, I mean, as much as we don't like him, he's up high on boards for a reason. Maybe that athleticism, maybe it's not that much of an issue. I still think that even for the Pistons, you know, maybe at some point you're 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 looking at taking him. So yeah, that would be the pick there for the Magic at four. Uh, Paul yeah. Boncaro. I, I completely agree. Yeah, you definitely don't want another guard. It's it's dicey enough to try to develop to the handlers and in, in, uh, in parallel like you have with, with Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. Yeah. I think they can make it work with Von Kara because those guys could, you know, those guys don't become bad when they're off the ball, not as useful, but not bad. Uh, all right. Number five, that is Houston. Uh, my goodness. Again, I don't think you take Ivy with Jalen green already on the team, uh, you know, regardless of what you think about Kevin Porter jr. Really? Oh man. Uh, this is a tough one. Uh, I'll just say I would definitely take Ivy there. I don't. I mean, I know I know Kevin I Porter Jr. has been decent for them, but I don't think he's like your long term. I don't think J- I don't think Jalen Green and, J- and you know and uh, and Jaden Ivy are, are guys who are going to work well together. I think they're guys. That's who are a very play. athletic backcourt. It's a very athletic backcourt of guys who are both going to want to take the ball and attack. I mean, Jalen Green is much you know is is much better guy from three. I mean, I see where you're coming from. It's just you kind of want a point guard there also. I mean, it depends on how you feel about Ivy's ability to, to make the right reads and the right passes, but you really got two maybe combo guards there. And yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's I still tough. think it could work. I think, I mean, Ivy, he's he's not a phenomenal passer, but he's he's okay. And I think he can make some reads. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, I understand the concern. I know you're low on Ivy, but I would absolutely pick Ivy there. I don't think there's anybody left who yeah. is Kevin Porter Jr. in terms of ceiling. Yeah, Kevin Porter Jr. Unfortunately, another blow up recently <laughs> when he, uh, uh, I think he missed a shot. He faked limping down the floor. Uh, he got back. I don't remember what it was. He wanted a lob play and didn't get it. He stared down the coach and uh, oh, dear. then he came out and went to the locker room. I don't think he played anymore. I mean, 
Part of me feels oh, bad. Yeah, I don't know what, yeah, no, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what his situation is, but it's like the guy's only going to get so many chances in the NBA. So who knows? Maybe they do go with Ivy. That's not all the wrong possibility. We'll go with that. But uh, All right. The on to the moment pick, of truth. You, are you picking Ivy? Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, just because I don't, uh, in part, but also because I don't want you drafting Ivy to the Pistons. <laughs> okay. Well, that takes care of most of the top five. The guys who are left, uh, AJ Griffin, Shaden Sharp, if he declares, Ben Matherin, uh, Jalen Duran, I think out of those guys, I would probably take Matherin. Oh, if well, that's I don't know because I haven't looked into Shaden Sharp. I know that a lot of people would definitely take him at six. Some people would probably take him top three. I I don't want to judge him based on high school film. So for the sake of this exercise, I'm going to exclude him because I just don't know. Oh, I would uh, take him at number six. So don't exclude him. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, I don't I don't want to pick him if I, I legitimately know very little about him but yeah i mean your official pick would be shaden sharp maybe he is worth that swing but out of the guys excluding him i would take benedict matherin i, I do mm-hmm. like his game and as low as i don't want to say as low as i am i mean when you compare him to ivy which i think is kind of the discussion that we're kind of gearing towards i definitely prefer ivy mm-hmm. uh, but you know, matherin has definitely impressed and i've been a big fan of his for quite a while all right fair enough okay uh, on uh, to listener submitted questions, which is going to be our final segment here. Um, at the top of the list, can you hear me? Uh, that was from Tommy. Uh, my answer is yes. Sorry, that wasn't actually a question. That was just <laughs> on our list. Um, so number one, will Kate ever become efficient enough to be a true number one? I'd like to mention that this is something I have been thinking about a little bit. Not necessarily will he ever be efficient enough to be a true number one, but his shooting numbers have been up and down, to say the least. Is the second or the last third of the season he's been down for sure he had that really nice stretch in i think january where he won rookie of the month and that's kind of what we expect him to be long term or hope that he will be long term but the shooting numbers are definitely kind of creeping into the territory where you start to worry about them so i understand where this question is coming from i think Cade has the potential to be efficient enough to be a true number one Uh, a big part of why he was taken so high is because of the shooting upside and it projects well he's definitely proven that he can sustain it for an extended period of time but he just hasn't uh, for the course of the season, but against his rookie year, not a lot of talent around him. Guys are guarding him very closely. He is priority one, two, and three on most team scouting reports. You can see it in the way that they game plan him. And I think that as he gets more talent around him, more reps, I think his efficiency will climb steadily. And uh, I don't, I don't anticipate that being a big problem long term. I think as long as he's good enough to uh, warrant close coverage, he's going to generate advantages, and that's not a concern for. Me. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. I'd say I believe that pretty strongly. So I think as he gains more strength, he's going to have a lot more success driving in and and scoring at the basket. He's already very shifty, very patient, very cerebral. And I think that'll help him draw more fouls too, which is really going to help his efficiency. Uh, He's been pretty darn deficient lately. I'm not sure about lately, but in February, certainly shot about 50% on mid-range pull-ups. Great asset to have, and that's a, a pretty darn good percentage. Uh, just for reference, that's about what DeRozan, I believe, is shooting on, on mid-range pull-ups. I mean, in the half court, that's one point per possession shot. That's great, especially you know, if you're self-creating. But it's good in general. The average half-court offense generates about uh, 0.97 thereabouts, maybe a little bit higher. So, and yeah, I think he's. I think his three-point shooting is going to improve. I don't think he's going to struggle like this in the long term. And I think he'll be a decent pull-up, uh, pull-up three-point shooter as well. You can shoot pull-up threes at 34%. You're in pretty good shape. And that just makes it that much harder to defend you. So you have a good three-level scorer there. Yeah, I think he'll be real good. And presumably he's going to have quite a bit less defensive attention on him. Uh, 
just from having better guys around him because he does get mobbed at this point. Uh, all right. What kind of contract do you offer Bagley in free agency? Uh, I would offer him a one and one, uh, you know, one plus team option at maybe around the qualifying offer. I don't know if we'll get the qualifying offer. I don't think the Pistons are too afraid of, of another team swooping in to pick him up. How, How many teams that? have uh, qualifying offer is, I believe, about seven and a half million. Okay. So, uh, yeah, not many teams with cap space. Also, Bagley is still a mess. Like, sure, the Pistons look better with uh, with Bagley at times, you know, particularly when he's playing center on offense because he's a lob threat. But that's because the Pistons didn't have one, didn't have an athletic big, and that was a huge gap. Could have been anybody who came in and made them look better there. Aside from that, Bagley, uh, like, he's very athletic. He's very good at playing above the rim. Uh, he's a good finished, very good finisher under the basket and defense that's created, offense, excuse me, that's created for him. Uh, he is not good at creating offense for himself around the basket. He does that on pretty low efficiency. His efficiency plunges when he holds the ball for like, uh, you know, more than two seconds. And he can't shoot. And on defense, he's a mess. And just his, his defensive smarts, I mean, that is the number one question about his future in the NBA, I think, is just his, his defensive smarts uh, because he's horrible on defense right now. So, yeah, maybe around $7 million for two years. I think that's, I think that'll get him. Yeah, if we could offer him less, I probably would. The number in my head is closer to five or six, and it's really because I'm quite a bit lower on his defense than I think consensus. Um, I think well, he maybe sucks not. On defense. He's awful on defense, and I think he's if we <laughs> if we address our need for a center in this off season, I, I don't know where we would do it, but I just feel like he might be the odd man out because you know he he's re- he's genuinely awful, and again. People really like him because he's fun. He's providing this vertical spacing that we desperately need. But Isaiah Stewart is not falling out of the rotation. Uh, he's definitely proven in his absence that he is a valuable piece and that his defense is incredibly impactful. And I just think he is overall a better player to have on the floor than Bagley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 high-flying offense is fun. It's great that we finally have a lob threat for Cade to target, but I don't think that he's a long-term piece necessarily, uh, especially not in you know, a significant role. Yeah. I think that this is a situation in which correlation doesn't necessarily, or does not imply causation that uh, the Pistons are playing better with Bagley. I think it's less that he's actually playing well and more that they now have something that they were, there was a horrible gap that they had nobody who could really play well in the pick and roll with Cade, no vertical spacer. So yeah, uh, 7 million, you know, especially uh, this summer when they don't really need the cap space. But yeah, if they do get another center on the team, like if they, Get pick ten and draft Duran, you know, from uh, from Portland. Bagley's not really got much space at all, unless he's just going to be a power forward. Uh, and you got to be able like to shoot, yeah. huh? Yeah, you got to be. Able I to don't shoot. like him there as a power forward. I don't think he has that. I don't think he's proven enough. Yeah, you know, do I? Um, yeah, I mean, he's shooting eighteen percent on wide open threes this season. He's shooting yeah. a significantly higher percentage on threes wide open uh, defenders more than six feet away. He's shooting a higher percentage on threes attempted with guys four to six feet away, but like. That's twenty five percent of his threes. The point is, you, you can't. You got to be able to hit those threes at high percentage. Uh, your wide open threes, and he's not only not doing that, he's been absolutely terrible. So it's a little bit of a weird situation. But uh, he'll, you know, he'll get a shot next season. But I mean, if the Pistons go out, for example, and sign DeAndre Ayton, it's like okay, you know, Marvin. Hopefully, you can be a third string center. <laughs> Maybe I don't think Ayton's likely. Just, just for the record. No, me neither. It would be nice though. Uh, yeah, perhaps. we we'll discuss that later on, yeah. Uh, all right, uh, next, which would you prefer, a known commodity with high floor and limited upside or a total unknown we think might have crazy upside? I think it's nice. It's it's fun to say that you take the crazy upside, but I think guys who are, if, especially if you're going to f- talk about like a mid-range pick, 
because that's usually where those guys are going to be. They have crazy upside, but the flaws are significant. So I was, again, like I mentioned, when this report about Jeremy Grant and the, the potential Pelicans pick came out, I was looking at the guys who were there. A lot of them are wings who are very athletic, but they can't shoot the three ball. I'd qualify that as crazy upside, but I would definitely rather have the guys who are projecting as good floor spacers, which would probably make my answer uh, the known commodities, you know, guys who well, like, it's like, would you rather have Isaiah Livers or Marvin Bagley? I guess eh. you know, if, they, if those guys were in this draft, I mean, Bagley had his issues. At the draft, like, you know, about yeah, like, let's say, you know what Marvin Bagley is, or like his college work looks a lot more like his NBA work. You know, oh, his college uh, work. I mean, his college work. Duke had to go to his zone because he and Juan Carter Jr. couldn't defend the pick and roll. Yeah, and he still ended up as like a top five pick, but like a consensus top five pick because yeah. of the athleticism and the upside. You know, that's the risk there. But I think I would probably take uh, the role player who can, you know, who you have a much better, you have much more confidence that he's actually going to contribute. Uh, all right, fair enough. Um, I would go with the no, the only total unknown really is Shaden Sharp. And, and this ties in the next question, which is Pistons win the third pick and they can't trade down in this hypothetical. Chet and Jabari are taken. Who do you pick? Uh, that's a situation in which I would strongly consider taking Shaden Sharp uh, just because of his upside. It's a, it's a weird pick. It's not a kind of pick you'd may have made in last season's draft, but man, this is so weak up at the top. And this draft has such issues with finding guys who are both high upside and potentially decent fit with the Pistons. We only have high school from Shaden, but it's very promising. So yeah. Yeah, in that case, I would go with the unknown probably at number three. I maybe would consider Ivy, maybe, but I just Take have such mystery box. I just I have I have such misgivings about uh, the Pistons' ability to make him work well with Cade and also develop him with Cade and the team. Developing two handlers in tandem is very dicey. You don't want to do it. I take Ivy, and uh, it's it's not it's not much of a thought for me. I don't like most of the guys who are outside of the top two. And uh, that kind of leads us into the next question, which is if we fall somewhere like four to seven, who are the guys you'd want there? Let's say that Chet, Jabari, Paulo, and Ivy are off the board. Who do you like? Um, in that case, it would be probably first Matherin. I, I spoke more highly. I mean, I've, I really like the way Matherin has played, and I honestly didn't get a, a ton of chance to watch him uh, or, you know, earlier in the NCAA season. So it'd be Matherin or, or Keegan Murray. But that's just because things get so weak at this point. Yeah. I would agree with that. And then the other guy that I would tack on into that range would be uh, Jalen Duran at like number seven. That's like the beginning of where I would probably consider him. Mm -hmm. I do like the upside there defensively, uh, athletically. And then I have, I don't know, I would give it like a 10 to 15, maybe more percent chance that he gets a serviceable mid-range jump shot. He's starting to work on that, but it's on very low volume. But the athletic upside there is just insane. I'm a big fan of that in terms of upside, you know, athleticism. Because I just think that's such oh, a big. Yeah, huge, huge indicator of what you can do, and he's we like we like we said, uh, we desperately need athleticism in the front court. Yeah, the more athletic you are, the shorter the distance you have to travel to become an effective NBA player. I mean, it's uh, yeah. and and the higher ceiling you conceivably have. That with Duran, I think just that again, I don't think he's a very smart basketball player, and I still have questions about his level of his, uh, level of assertiveness. So it's just uh, taking a traditional center who has those concerns. Dope. It's 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 this draft, man. Yeah. Like, you look at it. who else is there. Yep. Uh, all right, folks. So that'll be it. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter, uh, to the basket pod. Uh, again, that's the letter, the word to T-O, not the letter. Excuse me, not the number. Uh, yeah. So as always, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode.